So being asked to do something is not always easy or straightforward. And we can probably think of times, even just recently, when we've been asked to do something by, uh, by someone, a friend perhaps, or a family member. And our reaction to a request like that can vary depending on the circumstances. So we can be uh, enthusiastic, we can be hesitant, or we can be reluctant to commit ourselves depending on who it is who's asking or what they're asking us to do or perhaps depending on why they're asking. Often our response to being asked to do something can also depend on how busy we are or on how much time it will take. It's not always possible to do the things that we're asked to do. And who are the people who who tend to ask us to do things? At work, our boss or our colleagues probably ask us to do things on a regular basis. If you have young children or grandchildren or have friends who have young children, then almost certainly they're asking you to do things for them all the time. At school, it's the teachers who want us to do things. But if you go to the doctor, they will also ask us to do things. Normally things to benefit us, but not always things that we want to do. And how about church? Do we find that we're often being asked to do things at church? Helping out with something, for example. Or perhaps there are things that we'd like to do at church, uh, things that we'd like to be involved with, but we've not yet been asked. There's probably one thing we can be asked to do that we will almost always say yes to. And that's if someone asks us to pray for them. Which is exactly what Paul is asking at the beginning of chapter 3 of this short letter to the church in Thessalonica that we've been looking at on Sunday mornings for for the past few weeks. So hopefully you've already got it turned up. It's page 1190 of the Church Bibles. I'm just going to read again the very first verse of 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honoured, just as it was with you. So pray for us, is what Paul writes to to these Christians. If we were to ask someone to pray for us this morning, I wonder what it would be that we ask them to pray. And that's worth thinking about, isn't it? Just for a moment. If someone were to pray for us this morning, what would we like them to pray for? What would be your prayer request this morning? It's not unusual for Paul to ask for prayer. In many of his letters, we have requests for prayer. And he's even more vocal when it comes to how much he's praying for the people he's writing to. In this letter, one of the first things he mentions is that he ought always to thank God for them. That's in chapter 1, verse 3. And then shortly afterwards, chapter 1, verse 11, he tells them that he prays constantly for them. 
And then in chapter 2, verse 13, he repeats what he's already said. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters. So for, for Paul, prayer is central to everything he does. And that, I think, can be quite a challenge for us. If we're honest, would we say that prayer is central to everything we do? Perhaps it is, or perhaps we would like it to be, especially when we read a letter like this and see how much prayer was part of Paul's life and ministry. I find it really helpful that not only does Paul say that he's praying for others, but he tells us what he's praying, and he tells us why he's praying too. And I find it very motivating. So chapter 1, verse 11, for example, we pray this, so that the name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him. And I think that part of Paul's greeting to them at the beginning of chapter 1 is really a prayer. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And it seems to me that the very last thing that Paul writes in this letter is also a prayer for them. Chapter 3, verse 18, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And just before that, Chapter 3, verse 16, he writes, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. So these are simple and powerful prayers that we can also learn to use ourselves when we're praying for one another or when we're praying for situations that we hear about or read about, like uh, the terrible shooting that happened this week in Texas. Uh, all the war that continues in Ukraine, as we've already prayed for this morning. And it only takes a moment to think of someone who is under pressure or facing a difficult situation and ask God to fill them with his grace and peace. I don't know about you, but I find that during the day, I sometimes have people come to mind unexpectedly. And I think that that could be God's prompting to pray specifically for the person at that moment. And often I don't really know what to pray for the person who has come to mind. So I find it helpful to use one of the prayers that we have in Paul's letter, or perhaps something from a psalm, Psalm 23 or Psalm 67, a good psalms or the Lord's Prayer. So things that we already have um, memorized or that we can bring to mind easily. And here in this letter, every chapter finishes with a prayer. I've already mentioned the one at the end of chapter 3, but the ones at the end of chapters 1 and chapter 2 are also very inspiring. So, just for a moment, imagine praying for one another here at Portswood Church with with these words. So we keep on praying for you asking God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. Then the name of our Lord Jesus will be honoured because of the way you live, and you will be honoured along with him. This is all made possible because of the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. So that's verses 11 and 12 of chapter 1 in the New Living Translation. Two verses that... I really want to memorize because not only um, does 
it applied to, to people here, but the people that we're in contact with in France as well. Having a prayer like that to pray for those people is just a great encouragement. And before starting her sabbatical, it was Louise who pointed out that prayer is woven throughout this letter and that taking time to journey through two Thessalonians together on a Sunday morning and in house groups as well would really help us to strengthen our core value of prayer as a church. So prayer is central for Paul. And we see that because not only does Paul say he is praying for other believers, he also asks them to pray for him too. So Paul doesn't ask them to pray for him without first letting them know how much he's praying for them. But he sets the example because not only is prayer central for Paul, it's also vital or essential for all believers. When we ask people to pray for us, what do we normally have in mind? What do we tend to focus on when we ask people to pray for us? If you're part of a, of a house group here at Portsmouth Church, you probably, like we do, share prayer requests each week as a group when you meet and you pray for one another. And praying together is clearly a helpful way of supporting each other and creating closer community. But what are you focusing on when you're praying for someone else? I wonder if there's another dimension to praying for one another that is revealed in what Paul writes here when he asks the Thessalonians to pray for him. So going back to the beginning of chapter 3, Paul says, Pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honoured, just as it was with you. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not everyone has faith. seems to me that when Paul asks for prayer, his focus is not inward, or it's not on the situation. It's always outward. And his concern is not so much about himself and his needs, but rather he is mindful of what God wants and what God is like. And I find this very challenging because it's actually the opposite of the way that we're taught to think about the world around us. But it's exactly the way that Jesus taught his disciples how to pray and how to think. So personally, I don't know how often I pray that the message of the Lord would spread rapidly and be honoured wherever it goes. But I know that I want to. And it's exactly what happened when Paul brought the message of the Lord to the Thessalonians. So in his first letter to them, he writes the following words. We also thank God continually, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. So Paul's seen it for himself with these very people that he's writing to. It's his second letter, but in his first letter, he reminds them that when he came with the message of the Lord, they responded uh, as if it had come from God. It wasn't just a message brought by people, but it was, it was God's words that they were hearing and responding to. 
And when Paul encourages them to pray, he reminds them about how they responded to God's message. And he wants them to pray that the same would happen elsewhere. And I think that's the same for us. It's great when we pray for one another. It creates a community. It gives support. But it's this outward-focused dimension that we get through, through Paul's letters. When we pray for the gospel message to spread rapidly and be honored wherever it goes, it's because we know how much God's word has helped us. And it's a reminder of what happened when we heard the message of the Lord Jesus for the first time. Paul also asks for prayer that he may be delivered from evil and wicked people because he wants to continue to tell people the gospel of Jesus and his kingdom. Paul's really clear that he himself was a wicked and evil person before he heard the gospel and before he encountered Jesus. His experience from the moment that he came to know Jesus was strong opposition to the Lord's message, but also life-changing transformation as a result of people accepting the gospel everywhere he went. So you're probably familiar with the stories. Everywhere that Paul went, people opposed him. There were people who did respond to the gospel, but there was plenty of opposition. And at times there were even people who wanted to hold Paul back from going to places to preach. So that's what Paul's asking for here, I think, that he would be delivered from wicked and evil people. And that's exactly what Jesus taught his disciples as well. Lead us not into into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's almost exactly the same words that Paul quotes in this letter to the Thessalonians. Paul's testimony was that the Lord was with him constantly. Every situation, just as he'd promised. Even when other people left Paul and left him on his own, Paul was confident that God was still with him. And we can read about that in the book of Acts. And it comes through really clearly in Paul's letters. So, for example, in Paul's second letter to Timothy, chapter 4, he talks about how Alexander, the metal worker, had opposed him. And he warns Timothy about the the kind of opposition that he'll face as well. But he testifies to how God had stood by him, how God had delivered him from evil people, and how he'd been able to continue to preach the gospel. So even when Paul asks for prayer, his thoughts are on what God really wants. And he's focused on how other people will hear the Lord's message much more than his own needs, much more than his human desires. Paul has learned from Jesus to pray for God's kingdom to come and for God's will to be done. And that's the example that he's wanting to pass on to us too. So going back to chapter 3, no sooner does Paul ask for prayer than his thoughts are back on the Thessalonians. He says, the Lord is faithful And he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. So Paul's asked that they would pray for him, that he may be delivered from wicked and evil people. And then his very next thought is to remind them about God's faithfulness and encourage them that because of God's faithfulness, they can be sure that God will strengthen them and protect them them too. 
So his very prayer request, he turns around and it's back, the focus is back on them. That's where his, his care and concern is. And at the end of chapter 2, so just a couple of verses earlier, Paul tells them that he's praying for God to strengthen them and encourage them. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Which is a great prayer, and it echoes the prayer that Paul prays in chapter 1, verse 11. We constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. So these prayers remind us that everything comes from God. Power, strength, protection, desire for goodness, deeds prompted by faith. And it's God's faithfulness that underpins it all, like the foundation of a house. It's God's faithfulness that enables Paul to say what he writes in the very next verse. So verse 4 of chapter 3, we have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. So God's faithfulness is also an encouragement for us to be faithful. That's how Paul thinks about things. It's both helpful and important to note that Paul's confidence is in God, not in the Thessalonians. So we have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. It's not confidence in in their ability. It's not confidence in, in their faith. It's confidence in the Lord that is uppermost in Paul's mind when he's praying for these people. And I'll say more about the things that Paul commands next week. But for this morning, with our title, The Faithfulness of the King, that's what we're focused on. When we pray, we think of God's faithfulness, and that helps us with our prayers. When Paul prays, what he has in mind is that the Lord is faithful. He knows that he can count on God to hear and answer his prayers. And to be honest, I think that's why Paul mentions prayer so much, why he's always praying for the people that he's connected with. And this short section finishes with another wonderful prayer. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. So can I just ask that you close your eyes for a moment. And we're going to pray that prayer silently for ourselves and for those sitting around us. May the Lord direct our hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. You don't need to say the words aloud, but picture the people sitting in this place or the families we know out at Itchen Valley Country Park or anyone else that comes to mind and pray using these words from this letter. May the Lord direct our hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. It's clear that Paul wants these Thessalonian Christians to keep going 
to be faithful themselves, to continue to do the things he commands, knowing that if they continue, it will be because of God's faithfulness. And that is where his confidence lies. And because of that, he prays that the Lord will direct their hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. That's Christ's faithfulness demonstrated throughout his life on earth. Then in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he prayed for God's will to be done before he was arrested. And then on the cross at Calvary, the faithfulness of Jesus, the faithfulness of the King, is the thing that guarantees our future, our future hope, and an answer to all our prayers.